0: Appreciate that very much, Mrs. Webb. Very good. I'm glad to be in the Lord's house tonight. It's a good place to be. I like it. I was 15 years old. I came to know Christ as my Savior. Church became my home, and uh, always glad to go. Be working out in the uh, hay fields and doing the farm work. Run in! I tell Melvin, "Got to get there for midweek service, Melvin." Yeah, All right, little brother, they called me. I'd hit it running. I'd literally come into church with hay dust on me. I always had plenty of room. I bet I smelled good. You <laughs> got there and throw hay in the summertime, and especially you're up in the up in the loft and stuff and. We did a lot of custom bales. Some of you, this will mean something to you. We'd throw 20,000, 25,000 bales summer. And the biggest field we had was on Mosman Road. I remember the best yield, best year on that, that one field. We took 1,100 bale off of it. And you're throwing a lot of hay when you do that. And we transport it and put it up in people's barns and did custom bale. But I was glad to be in church. Teenage boy. And uh, they'd say we're having a work day at the church. I'd show up. I didn't know anything about construction. They knew that right away. They handed me a shovel a lot. <laughs> and where I grew up, I, I was what you call Kentucky backhoe. Kentucky backhoe is a strong young man with a shovel in his hand. And just dig that out. And uh, anyway, house of God. Growing up in it. And uh, coming to know how to, what a dad ought to be. Coming to know about what a Christian man ought to be in the house of God under the preaching of God I've been blessed to have some strong preachers influence me in my life men who were not afraid to look me in the eye and tell me when I'd done something right and not afraid to tell me when I was doing something wrong and some not afraid to call me out in the middle of the service my preacher who you've met and he's preached here said right there in the middle of the service told me I need the haircut and I had my afro right in the middle of the service I mean it was packed we had a good crowd we had a big Church for the town we were in, and he just pointed me out. Said, you need a haircut, son. Huh? And uh, he was right. <laughs> he said, Well, I tell you, he said, That's kind of rough and tumble. Thank God for it. I, I need as about as much subtle instruction as, a, as your average mule does. So you hit me with a two by four, I get the idea. And I, oh, okay, we'll go that direction. And uh, God's house, I've had my uh, hurting heart blessed in the house of God. I've had uh, a fearful time, strengthened and with courage in the house of God. I'd always thank God for it and uh, be glad. I'm glad for you all. Glad you want to be in church. Glad you choose to be. Fourth of July weekend, evening service, and you're in church. I feel sorry for these little skinny neck wuss preachers that shut down their services. I had no use for them. You see, that's, that's rough language. Not as rough as I want to use. I don't want to use anything vulgar, but I, I could become descriptive to it fairly well. Say, well, nobody will show up. You just have church, and whoever comes, you preach, and whoever shows up, you have the service. Whoever shows up, God meets with you. And by the way, I believed that when we didn't have anything resembling this on a Sunday night. Why? Because it's God's work. And there's always a remnant of God's people who want to be in God's house, who want to get the Word of God, who need the Word of God, who are helped by the Word of God, and I get excited by it. I really do. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And so anyway... <coughs> All that's free. I'm just thinking about God's house and what it means to me tonight, and I thought I'd get a little excited about it. Look at uh, our passage there in Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, and I want you to uh, specifically pay attention to verse 5, if you will. And uh, let's look at that. It says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned Now i want to speak to you tonight about the subject of the sources of charity the sources of charity would you pray with me that we'll have clarity in our service here father thank you for what we just heard thank you for that good song what it reminds us of lord i pray that you'll help me to speak your word clearly tonight and lord may i be of help to your people like this was of help to me when i saw it as i was reading and studying may your people be blessed by your word tonight ask in christ's name amen the word there in the verse it says the end of the commandment think of end perhaps you'll want to make notation of it i feel like i'm kind of working hard for this are you hearing it okay is the volume all right on things with this brother dan don't crank me up too much My, my voice is still not back to full strength i appreciate it there we go i sound like more like a man um can you tune that where I can sing good? We don't have, they, never, they don't even make that kind of equipment, do they? It, it's not a miracle maker. Yeah, that's right. Brother Dan, turn me up a little more. I need to talk to Brian for a while. Yeah, there we go. All right, he's going to get rowdy, I can tell. Like I said, some of my deepest heartaches have come by being in church <laughs> uh, the uh, The word "end," if you mark things down you want to uh, you want to make a notation it 's the intended purpose to be fulfilled, the intended purpose to be fulfilled it 's not talking about the end of the compa- com- commandment as a cessation of it um, the end Purpose to be fulfilled—that's that the intended, rather, purpose to be fulfilled. It's common to hear such phrases as this: the end game. What is your final end game on that? Or the term: what's the end result? What's the end result we're searching for? We hear that the word "end" is used just in that matter. You look at the verse now; that's how it's used. Now read it and look at it in that understanding. But it says, "Now the end of the commandment is charity." Out of A pure heart of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned with that. The word end in this verse does not refer to the cessation of the commandment. It's not the end of the commandment as in it's over, but it is the purpose the commandment was intended to fulfill. What is the end of the commandment? What What is its purpose to be fulfilled? What was the purpose the commandment was set forth to accomplish according to God? Why did God send forth His commandments? The answer to that is a one-word answer. And it tells you right there in that verse. What is it? You see it in your verse. What? Charity. What God's commandment, God's Word, His written record, is given to accomplish in us is this wonderful, all-encompassing thing that we have detail about in 1 Corinthians 13. It's called Charity. And the Bible, of course, tells us to let all our things be done with charity. And we're admonished that way with it. Far too often, the commandments of God are misused by us for pride, for self-justification, for self-righteousness, or sadly, to condemn others. That goes with that self-justification, self-righteousness. Look at what I do, and why don't you do it? That is not the end of the commandment. That's not what God designed it for. God's reason, as is often the case, are not the same as our corrupt uses. God plainly states in this passage that we just read that the end of the commandment is charity. That's God's purpose. Understanding that the purpose or end of the commandment is charity we should be led to ask a a, a question that's logical. What's the source of the charity? Okay? The end of the commandment, what God's intended purpose to be fulfilled is, is charity. So Wesley, do you read your Bible? Okay? When you read your Bible, God has a purpose in what's going on with that. Now just getting this can make a huge difference. It's not just you're reading the Bible so you know some things about it. You may have a purpose in what you're doing in reading. You want to know God better. You'd like to be a godly young man. You know you need the Bible for that. But the God who is the author of the Bible has a purpose in you reading it. He had a purpose for giving it to you. It's stated here clearly that God wants to birth and grow in you something called charity. Charity. He'll do that through His Word. And so our question is, if the end of the commandment is charity, then what is the source of the commandment? Um, You say, well, it's the Bible. I'm not getting into a, a debate over that because I understand that the Bible is our sufficiency in all things that pertain to life and godliness. But can I point something out to you that's very obvious and it's very obvious in the Scripture? There are many people who know a lot of Bible, who are very, very lacking in charity. It's just like there are people who could sign a doctrinal statement about what is or is not the correct presentation of the gospel. If you put down something that was gospel presentation and it was not correct, it was not salvation by faith through grace. By grace through faith. My first doctrine... Was, was wrong? They, uh, uh, I've gone theologically dyslexic. By grace through faith. And they would say, somebody said, will you agree to that? And they'd say, no, no, that's not right. There's something they're added in. It's not in Christ. That's not in, in what He did. And you could put down the right wording and biblical phrasing about the gospel presentation. They'd say, yes, that's right. And they would know the difference. But they themselves don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They know, the, they know the doctrine, but they don't know the God of the doctrine. Even so, there are many people who know the Bible, who can put it together, who even know doctrinal structure of it, who can quote many verses, but the end of the commandment, that which is supposed to be accomplished in their life, charity, is not growing and developing in them. So to say the Bible by itself is the source of charity, you cannot have charity without it. But we humans are corrupt enough to be capable of knowing the Bible, mentally understanding it, giving assent to it in a doctrinal sense, and yet it not accomplishing the end of what God wants it to accomplish in our life with it. Um, What are the source? Well, the rest of verse 5 will inform us of what that is. It told us what the end is. Then it will show us the sources. The sources are attributes in, in your life and my life, which when in place allow the commandment to work charity in us. You can have a crowd of people. The same gospel message is preached to all of them. The same Bibles open. They hear the same preacher. They hear the same words. They hear the same teaching. One is convicted of sin, their unbelief, and they yield to the Lord and come to Him. Sounds like I should have preached on Noah tonight, doesn't it? Um, but they come to know the Lord. Another one who's a believer sees a need in their life for somewhere where they're supposed to grow before the Lord and they yield to that. And another person is highly offended by what's said. Upset by what's going on. One leaves out of the meeting and is thankful that God spoke to them and is thankful that God did something in their life. And another one leaves leaves out vowing they never come back again and feeling that somehow or other they've been taken advantage of by what was said and finding all sorts of fault. The same message is going out. But that which is in the person is different. And it affects what that message does. It doesn't affect the quality and content of the message, but it affects, its, it affects how it reacts in that person. So it is that there are sources, and I'm referring to it that there are attributes that are in place that allow the commandment to work charity in us. The end of the commandment, God's intended purpose, is charity. That's what He wants to do in your life. That's what He wants to do in my life. There need to be things in our life that allow that to come to pass, right? Let me, let me show you something I'm talking about here. Um, I'm going to be giving you as the three that the Lord gives in the Scripture here. And let me say to you, if any of them or all of them are missing, then the commandment is far more likely to combine with our fallen nature and bring forth pride, self-justification, self-righteousness, and condemnation of others. In other words, the commandment, and you knowing the commandment, can make you very harsh, very, very uh, condemning of others, very uh, uh, critiquing instead of instead of standing. For the Lord and standing for what's right and standing for true holiness. Instead, you're a condemning thing with it. And uh, the difference is whether it's our fallen nature that is interacting with those commandments or if it's the sources from which charity comes. Uh, Let's consider the sources as they're given in the Bible. Look again in verse 5. Brother Robin, is that door shut completely? Is that what it sounds like? A frog is not eaten? Yeah, it's that. alright thing. First Timothy 1 verse 5 again. Interesting theory. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a... Look at the three things that the Bible gives. Where does the charity come out of? A pure heart, right? Then a what? Good conscience. And then out of what? Faith unfeigned. And the word feigned means put on, fake if you will, something that's not genuine. And it says, here's here's the sources. The source of the charity is not the commandment itself. The charity comes out of these three attributes combining with the commandment. And that allows charity to bring forth in us, It's like I, I've seen and read and heard the description of charity. Somebody said, well, that's God's love. That's a very incomplete definition according to how the Bible uses it. Now I'm not deriving the definition I'm getting ready to give you, which is a review for many of you. I'm not deriving the definition from Webster's 1828. I'm not deriving the definition from Strong's Concordance. I use those tools. I'm not against them. I use them in study helps. But I'm deriving the definition from what I believe is the primary way to define any Bible word or phrase. And that is its usage in the Bible. In other words, your King James Bible would define itself. And that's, that is our source. And I define, by what I see the usage in the Bible, I define charity not just as God's love. Charity is God's love in you working towards someone else. Because every time I find the word charity, it has to do with the interaction between people. And it's God's love in us being evidence towards somebody else and that showing up. Well, if you understand that and if you had done a study and you see that that's the way charity is laid out in the Bible, you find out then that our, what we are like when we come to the commandment will make the difference whether the commandment works ill in us or whether it works good through us. Let's look at them in, in order. First of all, the first one on God's list there is the, at the end of the commandment, is charity out of what? It's the first one. Pure art. Very simple with this. Pure meaning singular. Singular. There's water in there. I have no doubt there are other chemicals also. <laughs> but if it was pure water, do you know what the ingredients would be in there? Water, it would be what? What would the breakdown be? H2O, H2O, right? That's water. Now, if that was full of H2O2, would you want to drink that? May I suggest no? You might gargle. Make sure you're not swallowing it when you do. Say, what's H2O2? That's called hydrogen peroxide. Right That. Now, if there were some orange juice in this, or how many of you ever taken some herbal things? I do this myself some, where you put them in water and mix them in water. You ever do that, take the liquid form. If you have any of those things in here, you do not have pure water. If it comes out of a tap that's attached to nicer city water, you do not have pure water. And my uh, chemical knowledge is far too limited to, <laughs> to graph out what might be in there. And give it its signature, but the pure water in there is singular. You have one item in there. If I change that out and had just orange juice in there, does anybody know what the uh, the signature or the uh, the chemical compound is for orange juice? Pardon? This <laughs> <laughs> OJ. <Okay. laughs> exactly, and. Uh, OJ Yum Yum. Um, <laughs> there you go. You're a smart crew. I knew somebody would jump on that. But if you have that, then you would have pure orange juice. You, uh, you would have whatever it is, it would be singular. That's one idea of purity. That's one concept of purity that's taught. So when we are, charity comes out of a, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. Our heart needs to be Singular. Um, (laughs) there's a passage in the scripture where God is implored and said, unite my heart. And it does not say with anything. It's interesting because unite and you would think with what? But that's how it says, Lord, unite my heart. Why does it mean? In other words, my heart can be divided. The Bible even talks about those who have a double heart. We hear the term double minded more often in the scripture, but we have those who did not have a double heart and those who were not double hearted. Why? They had a very singular purpose. Here's what we want to do. And so, for the commandment to work charity in us, we have to have a pure heart, which means singular. Then, may I say to you, it needs to be sanctified. Sanctified is a really good Bible word which has been uh, misused. And some people are afraid of it. shouldn't be. It means set apart. Two aspects of being sanctified. One is you're set apart too. Come unto me, Jesus said. And learn of me. When Jesus called his original disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you. He calls us to come come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. And I will receive you. It's a call unto. I'm called unto something. My wife and I, when uh, we got engaged, I uh, went got her an engagement ring and uh, went through some things to make it kind of a neat and romantic thing. And I said, I'd like you to be my wife. And I had that engagement ring. And she put it on. And... Uh, what that said and what that, what that commitment was, was we set ourselves apart for each other, apart from anyone else. It's not okay to have somebody else in any sort of a uh, close relationship, male and female, set apart for each other. And then, of course, these 36 years of marriage the same. What is that? That's, a, that's, that's being sanctified. It's setting apart unto. But it's also setting apart from when you leave something. Uh, that you uh, renounce the hidden things of darkness. That's a Bible phrase. You say, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. Perhaps you've had things like that in your life. I remember that good day when I cast rock music out of my, my life. I said, you're not welcome anymore. I took the Bee Gees and Neil Diamond and, you know, Aerosmith. And I, you said, man, what a weird grouping. You better know it. Totally eclectic. I took everything you want to do that and God help us, God forgive us, air supply, all that nonsense. What a weird generation. And I set it aside and said, I don't want that coming in. I'm supposed to be psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. My music is supposed to honor Christ. I cannot endorse, embrace, and uh, exalt that which exalts perversion, wickedness. Set it aside. Got rid of it. Hundreds of dollars of stuff I purchased with my own money I earned. I threw it away, I burned it. We used, you remember the 33, the big albums? So you kids have no idea what that is. Imagine a really, really big CD. You don't know what a CD is anymore. Um, And we took my friend's pump shotgun and we threw them, (laughs) boom! It was great. So why didn't you sell them? I didn't wanna give it to anybody else. It's like a drunkard gives up booze. They shouldn't you know, hand out what whiskey they have left in the refrigerator. Here, somebody might use this. No, get rid of it. Get rid of it. That's what you do with things that are idolatrous. That's what you do with things that are evil. I remember it was a good day. I got rid of something. But what drove me to do that is I wanted to be close to the Lord. Sanctified unto, apart from. I can, I can go through a list of different things that it's been freedom from bondage and freedom from where it was going. Why? Because I wanted to go this direction and that didn't match this. You know, it was said by the Lord, the children of Israel, He brought them out of the bondage of Egypt. And He made the statement, He didn't just bring them out of Egypt to bring them out of Egypt. He brought them out to fulfill His promise to them to bring them into the promised land. And He makes that very statement. He said, I brought you out to bring you in. And God said, that's what I'm always doing He says, I'm taking you to something better. I'm, I'm heading you in a better direction. And you got to leave. you got to cut off the junk and get going over here and go the right way. Sanctified. A pure heart, a singular, it's sanctified. We, we want it we for the Lord. And then I put down, it's sympathetic. In other words, toward the desires of God. We want to we desire what God desires. We want to we avoid what God desires. disapproves of, it's sympathetic towards that. So the first thing is pure heart. What's the second thing? Commandment is out of a pure heart, then out of what? Good conscience. I'm going to just give you some references. We can turn uh, to different ones, but I'm just going to have you tonight, I'm going to have you write them down, if you will. What is a good conscience? I'm studying it out. It's one that is neither... In offense toward God, nor defiled, nor evil, nor seared. In the realm of it's not one, I know you wouldn't have time to write all that down. I hadn't imagined you would. But the idea of not being in offense towards God, that's Acts 24, verse 16. Write that reference down, read that later, it'll give you instruction. Acts 24, verse 16. That teaches us about having a conscience free from offense towards God. In other words, we, uh, in our conscience, uh, we know that we've tried to follow the Lord. It, see, if the commandment's going to work charity in you, there have to be some things in place. Then it's not defiled. That's Titus 115. It says, to those who are corrupt, even their conscience is defiled. Have you ever had the unfortunate situation of talking or being around somebody who can turn anything that's said, anything that's mentioned, into something off color, vulgar, or some type of innuendo? That's not the kind of person you want to spend a lot of time with. There was a fellow in our extended family, not immediate family, or immediate uncles and cousins and such, but a fellow who was related to him by marriage. And he was that way. He has since died. His son, who was actually worse than him, who also has passed away now, I didn't know it until many years later. His son actually accepted the Lord. His life just changed around. They were very, very vile men. But this one man I'm referring to, everything you could say, be out cutting wood with the family, do different things, working together. No matter what comment somebody would make, he would would take it away. So what is that? That's a a defiled conscience. That's that defiled, filthy way of of doing things. An evil conscience, Hebrews 10.22, you can look that up later. We don't want to have an evil conscience. The Bible talks about that. You no longer would be able to tell differentiate between right and wrong uh, because your conscience is evil. You know, I used to use this type of illustration in soul winning, I've gone completely away from it now. I would say to somebody uh, or trying to trying to uh, teach or help with a, someone who's made a profession in Christ and needing to grow in their life, I would maybe point out a type of activity or something going on and I would say, would it bother you go to your church and see people doing that but it bother you to see your pastor acting that way I quit I got away from that I don't even go in that realm talking anymore because here's the answer you get so often no not at all what's wrong with that I may not do it but it's okay for them that's how perverse thinkings become and I just learned a long time ago I stay away from certain things because people have why have evil conscience what's wrong with that don't you know? I remember we had a youth group on a trip and as we were going into where we were going to be staying the night there was something just filthy someone who was working the front desk had put on pornography on a TV that was in that in that place and we came in early and uh, we always were walking guard where we were going in brother Tim had gotten in before me I was I was parking the van The man he just went bliss on it shut that shut that thing off talked to the night clerk about it, you know, and we, we had to raise the ruckus there for a bit. I called, I called the corporate headquarters. I said, I want to let you know what was just happening at your hotel here. What we walked into. And this woman's talking to me and she goes, oh, I said, our youth group came in. Here's what, what was going on. And she said, oh, well, I'm sure by their age, they've all seen it all anyway. And then she she went on to say, Well, I, I got grandkids around that age, and I'm sure they've seen it. And I said, Well, I said, Lady, not everyone's a pervert like you and thinks it's okay. <laughs> and God heeded at that point. So you weren't a good witness. Oh, yeah, I was. Right there is what needed said then. Let's see. Nope, no repentance on that one at all. But a defiled conscience, well, that's all right. And it's not all right. And see if we're going to have the charity, a source of charity, is this thing of a good conscience. And then last one will pertain to what I want to end this section with. The not, it says not seared. And that word seared, S-E-A-R-E-D is the Bible word on this. All these are Bible words. And that's in 1 Timothy 4, verse 2. And that talks about having your conscience seared, and that's the idea of it being cauterized where it doesn't feel anything anymore. It has been my sad case as a pastor down over many years to have had more than one person say to me, directly to me, I never would have thought that I would have ever started doing what I'm doing. If you told me, preacher, a year ago, five years ago, whatever, I'd be where I am, I just said it could never happen. You could go back and chronicle the steps. And those first steps seem like little ones. But they're not. The Bible warns about a seared conscience. And here's how it goes. We do something. We go along with something. We are involved with something. And it bothers us. But we justify it. We give in to pressure around us. Whatever. And we do it again. And it's not quite as troubling. Do it again, it's not quite as troubling. And before long, it just becomes acceptable. That's the idea of a seared conscience. Um, A lot of illustration I can give, but that's, that's sufficient for what I want to say with that. So three things that are the sources of charity. The end of the commandment, God's designed purpose of the commandment is charity out of or f- coordinating with the sources first of all what type of a heart? Pure, heart pure heart and then what type of a conscience good conscience and now remember we're looking what the bible teaches about this and then of faith and what's the bible word and what is it it's real faith not fake stuff let me say, in way of understanding this, in one way it works, charity is vitally dependent on forgiveness. You say, I thought you were talking about faith. And the Bible's talking about faith. It is. And you're going to see, I've not jumped aside to get to this. Charity is vitally dependent on forgiveness. You know, one really convicting statement among many in 1 Corinthians 13 to me, is charity thinketh no evil. When I was a young Christian and young in the Scripture, I what I saw was right, but it was very one-dimensional for that. And that was simply thinking no evil and not having evil thoughts. But over the years of the Scripture and, and, and growing, I came to understand there's even more to it than that. Isn't the Bible like that? You'll get something at the stage where you are in your Christian growth, and it's fine. But then as you keep following the Lord, you all of a you go back and you go, Whoa, I was just I was just plowing the surface on that. There's more to that. Wow. And what I started understanding was that that thing of thinking no evil is also not assuming evil on the, on the behalf of another, not assuming an evil motive. Now, understanding that, that now that's where it gets convicting to me. to not lay to somebody else's account, I know why they did this and it was for an evil motive. Brother Brian, I think that that may sometimes show me the shallowness of my charity more than almost anything else in that chapter. It's convicting and compelling both. Charity is vitally dependent on forgiveness. May I say to you, a charity cannot exist in you when unforgiveness is held close to your heart. Faith in the word of God is the source of our capacity to forgive. Did you know that? It's interesting. I, I think this is a great passage. When Jesus was teaching and the disciples asked him he said, "How many times if a brother offends and ask forgiveness, how many times will we forgive?" Seven times? They thought that was a lot. Jesus says to him, "I say to you if he offend against you and repent, I say not unto thee seven times. What do you say? We know it. Seventy what times seven? How many is that? Quick math comes up with four ninety. That's a bunch. Do you know what the disciples' response was? The exact the next verse. They said, "Lord, increase our faith." <laughs> That was, you read it sometimes. It's exactly what they said. I say my seven, Seventy times seven. Lord, increase our faith. Okay, God, we're going to. What did you just say? Yeah, you know, I'm sure if there was some scholar. What do you really mean by those words? That's always a great way out, isn't it? Reason around it. Faith in the God of the Bible is the source of our capacity to forgive. I want you to think about that. Let that take root in your thinking. Faith in the God of the Bible is the source for our capacity to forgive. Now, I'm not off track at all about this thing of charity. Watch this. When we dare to believe that God can and will correctly judge and repay all things, we can then leave punishment and retribution to Him. It's a lack of faith. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That's God's statement. Think about what he just said. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. (laughs) We may not, by our self-willed refusal to forgive, take that which is his. It's not my job to make someone pay. It's not my job to execute retribution and vengeance. It's God who is the judge of all. He's the one who decides that. He allows me and expects me to use wisdom in dealing. And I say this to you because it it helps for people to understand the the completeness of what the teachings are on this. It doesn't mean someone is hurtful and abusive to you that you are required to put yourself under their power. does not mean that someone is a thief so you let them have access to your valuables. But it's the idea, it's the teaching that it is not our place to bring about vengeance. Forgive me for being so clear on this, but there's much needed in basic Christian instruction. It also does not mean that there are not times you bring charges against someone. That you follow the course of law. I say to you publicly what I've said many times. There's not anything I take more seriously and want to be honest before God with any stronger than a new pastoral privilege and and, uh, uh, confidentiality. You've been in our church. You know how it works here. If you're a man, you may come to talk to me about anything. It will go nowhere except to me. I, could, I won't put her on the spot. I can stand my wife up now and ask her if in all the years I've been pastoring, if I've ever come and talked to her about something. About that. Times when she is, she's not trying to be nosy, just concerned about somebody she'll say something and, and, and say, how are things? And I'll say, I was meeting with just a man. I was meeting with a couple. That's end of it. I think it would be a shame if any person with a high level security clearance took that more more seriously than what I take i responsibility responsible for God. May God help me to be faithful. I want to be faithful. And if you're a man, it, it's, that's where it goes. If a couple comes and talks to me, that's where it goes. With me, that's it. You've never in all your years of employment had me come talk to you about a confidentiality that talked to me to do that. Say he's assistant pastor. That is not part of his job. you. <laughs> He's got good sense. Look at the grin. He doesn't want it to be. Right. He's with a grin like a possum. He's like, yeah, exactly, awesome. And uh, that's yours, preach. Uh, if you're a lady and come talk to me, my wife may ask me any question she wants about anything you say. I say, well, I wouldn't feel comfortable coming to you then. Then. Benefit from my preaching. In fact, if you'll pay attention to the Bible preaching I give you, it'll cut out ninety-nine percent of the counseling you If you just apply what you If you're a young person still under the authority of your home and in your house, your parents not only can but will be informed of anything. Say, "Well, I got no privacy with you." Very good. You learn fast. If anybody in any category comes to me and passes certain boundaries, I will immediately go to civil authorities and I will never hide things that need to be brought to law. They're going to hurt me. Preacher, why is that important? Because it's important for you to know in this matter of forgiveness, God is not expecting you To allow someone to hurt you, damage you, and do that sort of thing. Say, well, that's just forgiving. But in your heart, you've got to be ready to forgive. Do you know murder comes from the heart? It happens in here before it's acted out. There may be a spontaneous thing where there's a fight going on. Someone strikes someone too hard, lashes out. Something like that would happen and be more of a manslaughter type of thing going on, and I'm not justifying it, but I'm talking about murder where somebody says, if I can kill them and not be have to pay for it, I'll do it. That comes from unforgiveness. Charity cannot be birthed or grow where unforgiveness lives. Who is it that you're still wanting to make feel what they did wrong to you years ago? You're, you are building your own cage. And God would like you to be free from that. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We may not by our self-willed refusal to forgive, take that which is His. I've wanted to do that before. I've wanted to uh, lash out and go after. And uh, it's, it's so, if you'll, if you'll slow down, if you'll talk to the Lord... If you'll take time to think about what, how He's forgiven you. See, our faith in God and what He's done for us is our basis for being able to forgive. You say, preacher, it's just not in me to do that. Are you saying you're not a saved person? No, it's not in your flesh. And if you're saying that in the context that Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelt you know, no good thing, then I agree with you. Not just for your behalf, I agree with you. I understand that. But if you're safe, someone lives inside of you. It's called the Spirit of God. It is the very Spirit that spoke out through the lips of Jesus Christ and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It is the very Spirit that dwelled in Stephen when he said, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. When we dare to believe that we have been completely and undeservedly forgiven, we can then extend that forgiveness to others in His name. When we dare to believe that forgiveness is really for us, and I find Many times when people are unforgiving that they really, they think God forgives this one and God forgives that one and they know theoretically God can forgive anything but they have never dared to believe it's for them. They've never dared to believe that they're clean. They still believe they're walking around soiled with sin's past instead of realizing the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's where the victory is. That's where the confidence is. That's where the security is. It allows us to actually forgive someone. That's yours. You're a child of God. That belongs to you. God wants you to have it. You ought to dare to believe Him. You ought to just put trust down on the Lord that He's good enough to do that. Your emotions will be all over about it sometimes, but God's good and His Word's true. Would you turn with me to Ephesians, please? Ephesians chapter 4, this would be a verse perhaps some of you who know the Bible might expect at a juncture of a message like this. Ephesians chapter 4. I said to you, it is daring to believe that we are completely and undeservedly forgiven that allows us to extend forgiveness. verse 26 let's begin there much more before that talking about certain behaviors that we ought to do and we ought to avoid in the Christian life but let's begin there verse 26 it says be angry and sin not let not the sun go down upon your wrath neither give place to the devil wouldn't that be silly to give a location and a place for fortification to our enemy Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption, not, not to be a sorrowful thing to the Holy Spirit to keep you sealed. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, and here's the basis for it, even, let's end of it, say, church, as. God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you on that same basis in that same manner as forgiveness for you. What's the sources? What are the sources of charity? It's what type of a heart, church? What is it? Pure heart. It's what type of a conscience? And then it is faith, what? And faith. The end of the commandment, the, the professed and the expressed... The thing that God's accomplishing with the commandment is charity. But it has to be coupled with something. These things we've learned about. Here's my thought on it. My challenge to us. Keep your sources clear. A pure heart. You're going to have to keep that clear. Our, Our heart gets entangled. Our heart gets distracted. Our heart gets deceived. Our heart gets all these things. Keep your heart pure. Keep your conscience good. Keep your conscience good. And keep your faith real. When we do this, God's commandment can have the desired end in our living. And he'll be growing us in charity. I'm not trying to, uh, in some way, associate with and bring us together as a group in, in speaking this way. This is this is my heart. This area of growing in charity, I see in my own life as a great area of need. It's one that challenges me. It's one that challenges long-held ways of thinking. It's one that brings into a different light some of my training and some of my background and some of my upbringing. It's something that delineates for me in my thinking the difference between manliness and godly manhood and machoism of our Western culture, between real strength and bravado. Does all this. Why? Because the end or the intended purpose of God's commandment for me, his main purpose, It's not so I can preach sermons, although I'm doing what He has called me to here. It's not so I can accumulate knowledge. I enjoy doing that. But the purpose is that charity be grown and nurtured in my life that I may show forth in my day-by-day interactions and living the love of God towards others. Whether that love be taking a strong stand on something, comforting, reproving, rebuking, instructing. All these things are part of it. God wants us to do it the right way. You have to keep your channels clear. Maybe through this message, you'll take time to think about some things in your life, some of your habits, some of the things you do. And you'll be willing to honestly look at it and say, does that clutter up my thinking? Does that take my heart away from the Lord? Does that make my conscience less sensitive towards things that are right? Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for your people. God is strong truth from your Bible. I want to live according to it. And uh, you want me to. That's encouraging. Pray you'll bless your people and help them. Cannot be satisfied with low living, non charitable living. God, may, the, may, we, may we see your word the right way so we don't become like the Pharisees of old. God, forgive us, forgive me, where I have been like the Pharisees of old. God, I want to be representative of you, and I believe a lot of people in the room do here. I pray you'll bless. Father, help them to seek you in this. Help them to be sensitive to the particulars that you have for them. Be obedient to your voice and your calling, please. Let's stand together, please. We have a song invitation. Why don't you come tonight? Come on the first note.